Hello, and welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. I'm Dr. Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. We have another exciting podcast for you today. We hope that you enjoy. Looking for a cost-effective way to drive practice growth? PatientPoint's innovative patient engagement platform lets you share custom messages and education about the medical and cosmetic services you provide. The best part? The in-office programs are no cost to your practice. To learn how you can get this platform, visit engage.patientpoint.com AAD. That's engage.patientpoint.com AAD. Hello and welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. My name is Molly McCormack and I am a dermatologist practicing in Southern New Hampshire and the chair of the Patient Access and Payer Relations Committee. I'm delighted to be joined today by Drs. Brent Moody and Matthew Knight to discuss contract negotiations. I think we all became dermatologists due to our love of the art of medicine. Unfortunately, if we do not pay attention to contractual concerns, medicine can become almost impossible to practice. Brent Moody will likely be well known to many of you. He has served on many fiscally focused committees for the AAD, where he is also an incoming board member. He is in private practice in Nashville, Tennessee. And Matthew Knight joins us from the beautiful sunny state of Florida, where he has been in private practice for over 20 years, leading a four location, 12 provider independent group. Thank you both for the time today, for your time today. And let's get right into things. So what do you see as the priority contracting issues facing dermatologists today? So I think that step one, when thinking about contract negotiations is to take the temperature of where you currently are. I really recommend all dermatologists sit down with their entire list of payers, look at the top seven to 10 CPT codes that you bill and put together a spreadsheet and look at what is the current landscape. And then I use Medicare as the benchmark. You know, who is above Medicare and who is below Medicare? Then you need to volume adjust it. So look at payer X. What volume of your practice is that? So you got to know where you are. Then the next step, I think, is you look at your highest volume payers and decide, you know, or am I being paid an acceptable rate from those highest volume payers? And if you're not, that's where you need to start. Lower volume payers can be your secondary priority. So I think without knowing where you are, you really don't have any idea of where you need to think about going. Thank you, Brent. That was great. One of the things that we have been hearing from our members is a process that some payers have been referring to as a fee schedule alignment. So there are some private payers that have had fee schedules for a very broad range of years from which their dermatologists are working from. And this is being consolidated. And with that, some practices are seeing fairly significant fee schedule reductions. Matthew, how have you dealt with proposed fee schedule reductions in some of your negotiations? Well, thank you. You know, I, just to echo what Brent was saying, I think Part of the problem when having conversations like this is it, it it's not a one-size-fits-all answer because there's so many different types of practices and sizes of practices. And depending on how big you are, it depends on how sophisticated you can be in terms of, of your billing. It can be hard to sit down and, and not feel like you're flying blind when it comes to what you're being paid and, and taking a look at all of your payers. 
but it is important to spend the time to do it so you have comprehension of, of where your strengths and weaknesses are. And what's going on, you're right, in the community is that a lot of these private payers have decided to send letters to practices and saying, well, this is what we're gonna do. And the one thing I wanted to say that I think is really critical here, like most things in life, is to have a personal relationship with your payers and their representatives. Because what they're looking for is really for not a lot of pushback. But if you have that personal relationship, I think it's critical to, to get on the phone, write an email immediately and say, wait, wait, hold on. This is where I'm coming from. This is the type of footprint we have in the community. This is the type of care we provide to your members. And this is the argument for why you know, we need to be here. And it really comes down to those two things. Number one, depending on your size and your sophistication, making sure you're not flying blind, knowing where you stand, number one, because you may be very surprised once you do the numbers. And two, having those personal relationships, both with the payers and their reps, and sometimes at multiple levels. So you can reach out to people almost immediately and try to get traction. I think that's great. You know, personal relationships always impact any discussion. They are truly important to maintain. Yeah, Matthew makes a great point. The first contact you have with a payer should not be a contact with a problem. So I, I really love that idea of, of establishing that relationship. And there's a certain amount of, and this may sound terrible, and it's not something that a lot of us are good at, we need to be somewhat self-promoting. That payer needs to know why we're doing a great job for their patients, how we're a cost-effective provider, and how we really do want to be responsible with resources, with patient resources, with the insurance company resources. So really, they understand that this particular doctor, this particular practice is someone we want to work with. So they have the incentive to have a, a two-way dialogue and be cooperative when more sensitive topics come up. 100%. I think a lot of people are afraid to self-promote, but that goes back to knowing where you stand. There's nothing wrong with saying, look, we saw this many of your members last year. We diagnosed this many melanomas. We diagnosed this many non-melanoma skin cancers. We have a significant impact in the community and we provide a valuable service. And, and sometimes you have to come at it from different angles too. You can speak to how much money you're saving versus um, even these insurance companies like to silo things. So they don't like it when you compare what you're doing to what an ENT surgeon or some other you know, hospital would cost. But I found that I, I'm surprised, you know, sometimes coming at things with unique and different angles where you can make these arguments like, look, I'm saving you tons of money by performing most surgery. Hey, look, I'm saving you tons of money by keeping patients not only healthy, but off of these expensive you know, multi-million dollar drugs. I found that that's been successful, just sort of keeping on it, coming at it with, from a logical position and saying, hey, look, this is who we are. This is the type of impact we have. And, and you need us out there in the community taking care of your folks because we do a great job at it. But the worst thing you could do is stay silent. That's great. Brent, for people who might be a little newer to this process, can you talk a little bit about what the fee schedule is based on? So for the vast majority of commercial contracts, it's going to be based on some percent of Medicare. That's the, the big picture. There may be rare exceptions, but in general, they're going to offer you a contract of Medicare times a certain number. Where it gets a little bit tricky and where you have to make sure you understand is to what Molly, you were referring to earlier as well, what year's Medicare fee schedule are they looking at? 
because it may not be the current year Medicare fee schedule. So step one is, okay, what year Medicare fee schedule are you basing this off of? And then what percentage of Medicare are you proposing to pay? That's the, the generally the simplest way to look at that. And then what about kind of the term of a contract and termination provisions? How do those work? So the contract generally are just, they keep going. It's kind of forever until there is some material changes made. And most contracts will have provisions about a material change. So if a material change is going to occur, they have to give you a certain amount of notice and also give you the opportunity to perhaps opt out if you don't like the contract change. So what will happen is you'll get a letter in the mail saying, hey, we're changing your contract X, Y, and Z. If you don't agree with this, let us know by a certain date. The assumption is that if you don't respond that you agree to that contract modification. Okay, have either of you ever terminated a contract? And if so, what led to that break? I certainly have to tell you, I, I know our members are seeing letters from insurers out there saying, if you don't agree with these changes, then here's how you nullify your entire contract, mm-hmm. which is really scary. I think when you first start out looking at these contracts, you know, especially when you're small, you have to be willing to walk away sometimes. I mean, the, the most powerful negotiation point is one where you feel like you have nothing to lose. And there are times where somebody's going to put something in front of you that you just it's not okay. And as a, as a business owner or as a physician, and you know what your time is worth, it's far below what you're willing to accept. And, and sometimes you do need to walk away from it. And we, you know, it's been years ago, but we've certainly faced that. And the important thing about that is you have to realize that if you say yes to something like that, then you're going to have a practice filled with folks with that insurance, which could place tremendous economic pressures on your practice if you're being paid some percent below Medicare rates over a long period of time, that's going to become unsustainable. And so it's a fairness thing. And sometimes you need to say, look, this isn't going to work and be willing to walk away. Now, a lot of the time it's going to go your way. Sometimes it won't, but that's okay. That's part of the decision-making process. Yeah, These are very hard decisions to make. Our general sense as physicians is that we want to help everybody who needs our help. Mm-hmm. And But Matthew makes a really good point If you are being presented with what to you seems like a very unfair contract, one that simply doesn't make sense financially, then it's quite possible that the other dermatologists in the community are getting the same contract. And if you're the one person that decides to say, well, I'm just going to do the right thing for these patients and say yes, when everyone else is saying no, you will be overwhelmed potentially with a contract that has a lot of patients with a poor contract. So you have to be very mindful of that. And certainly I have walked away from contracts in the past when it just did not make sense, was not fair to my practice. Generally, these were ones that fell below Medicare. And I just said, look, I'm just can't, not going to do that. I have had instances where I've had successes, though. I had one contract that simply was not appropriate. And believe it or not, one of their medical directors came to my office and met with me. I said, look, I want to meet with you and tell you why I think I bring value to your patients and and the quality service I'm doing. And that medical director came and we had a really great conversation. 
and the medical directors do not do contracting. He said, look, I don't do contracting, but I will relay back our conversation here. And I heard shortly thereafter from the contracting people with what turned out to be an acceptable contract after that. So to Matthew's point, don't be afraid to ask and don't give up at the first line. You know, there's generally if the first line that for a person you're dealing with cannot get to where you want to be, ask if there's someone else that you can talk to. Always be very nice. Emphasize that you really want to take care of their patients, that their patients are important to you and try to go up the food chain if you can. And you may get success with that. Brent, how were you able to arrange that conversation? Did you need to threaten termination to meet with that medical director or were you able to engage in a different way? It fortunately did not get to the, I'm getting ready to walk away. There was no ultimatum or threat, but it was just a matter of, I explained that I, I really wanted to make this work And I wanted someone with, you know, a medical background to understand my perspective and where I was coming from. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, this is, again, one of the rules. You get more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. Mm -hmm. So I never threat, never ultimatum, never cajole. I simply explained. This is what I would like to do. And in this case, it worked out. That's great. Matthew, when you're getting ready for contract negotiations, how do you prepare? Well, I think a lot of this boils back down to knowing where you stand. Your best friend is your reputation in the community and the type of care you provide. But your second best friend is the data, the number of patients, the types of patients, the number of cancers you diagnose per year, per quarter. And when you come to the table, you need to be armed with that information. And it can be daunting, you know, especially if you don't have the kind of PM system where you can drill into these numbers and and pull them out. And I remember when I was much smaller, I certainly felt that way. Like I didn't have a lot of tools in my belt to come to the table. But, you know, I always try to come to the table, like Brent was saying, I come at it from a position and not threatening, you know, it's not like give me this or I'm going to walk. But it's, it's very logical. Say, look, you know, here's who we are. This is the type of care we provide to your beneficiaries. I believe we serve an important role. But especially this year, saying things like, look, I mean, you know the type of inflationary pressures we're we're facing. You know the type of of wage pressures that we're facing. You know, this is not the season to be cutting physician pay because we need people to care for your folks. And I often do that. I like to start with letters because I can really control what I'm saying up front. So, you know, really nice, well-written letter kind of pointing these things out. But then, like Brent was saying, you know, I don't really like just a one phase approach. If you're not getting traction barking up one tree, I'll try to bark up another tree or try to get somebody else on the phone to really push my position and always make it about the patients because it is ultimately always about the patients, but always make it about grandma. Say, look, I'm trying my best to take care of grandma here. Okay. But I really care about this and you're making it really hard on me and I can't do business at what you're asking. So can we come to terms and get somewhere near, you know, like Brian was saying, and Medicare rates are Medicare rates for a reason. They didn't pluck them out of the sky. They sat there and counted all the beans to figure out how much it costs to take care of people. So, you know, that's your best tactic. Unfortunately, depending on where you are in the country, you know, there are some people that are forced into contracts that are well below Medicare because of supply and demand economics. So, but anyway, the best thing you can do is is know where you stand and and come at it and don't be afraid to be vocal and, and talk a lot about your position. Brent, could you talk a little bit about what 
the AAD is doing to advocate on behalf of dermatologists regarding payer contracting issues? Sure. The first thing I want to emphasize is that the AAD uh, will not individually advocate for a practice or physician. So that's not part of the mission to negotiate your contract for you. But what the AAD can do is work with payers so payers understand coding convention and uh, agree to pay physicians appropriately for modifiers that they don't apply reductions when they shouldn't. So the AAD can help sort of try to keep everybody on the straight and narrow. The AAD does have very good relationships with most of the national payers. And one thing that the Patient Access and, and Provider Relations Committee does is has have routine interactions with those payers. And we have had instances where when a dermatologist just cannot get anywhere contracting with their local person, where the AAD has been able to help move that up the food chain, as it were, to, just to help that practice get in front of the people they need to get in front of. Again, they're not going to negotiate their contract for you, but sometimes they can facilitate an introduction if you've exhausted all of your sort of local options. That's great. And I'd like to remind our listeners that the AADA Practice Management Center has many resources on contracting and fee schedules, as well as coding resources that can help guide you on appropriate documentation and coding, which form the basis for our reimbursement. There is also an AADA payer contracting webinar and additional resources area that includes setting up to succeed payer contracting toolkit, as well as a link to our Derm World feature negotiating fee schedules. For those of you who are having payer issues, I would encourage you to report such concerns to privatepayer at aad.org so that the Patient Access and Payer Relations Committee can assist you in tackling some of these issues. Matthew and Brent, is there anything else that you would like to share with our audience? I know that I have learned a lot from our discussion today. I'm going to say one thing, and then I, I think Brent is the right person to to wrap this up, and at first I want to thank both of you for all the hard work you put in at the academy level in the paper committee and other committees to help AED members everywhere navigate these complex issues. It's not easy work, and we all owe you a debt of thanks. One thing I think that is becoming a bigger and bigger problem is PA reimbursement or mid-level provider. Certainly many of us in our practices are using mid-level providers, and there's certainly been a tremendous expansion. But I, I think it's important that, that our members know that they need to ask that question up front how that's going to be handled. In the old, old, old days, most insurance contracts were billed incident to the physician for PA work, but that's not the case anymore. And it has to do with who appears in box 24J of a HICFA form. And it all boils down to supervising provider versus rendering providers and what the insurance company sees. Most of these are billed just like Medicare in these days. And so your mid-level provider is going to take a haircut on whatever they do, but that's not always the case. And some of these payers have unusual rules, especially these little players in the community. So always make sure to ask that question up front so you're not surprised down the road if your practice uses mid-level providers. Thank you so much, Matthew. That is such an essential point. What about you, Brent? Any final words of wisdom for us? I think uh, this has been great advice and hopefully some of these techniques will work. I, again, I'll just emphasize, try multiple lines of attack. 
One thing we did not talk about, and it's not something I recommend that you do routinely, but it's sort of in case of emergency break glass approach, is you can involve the patients in this process. Patients need us to take care of them. They should never be put in the middle, but there can be instances where patients can be your advocate. So if you have a payer that you really do want to come to agreement with, and you have a few patients that have that for insurance that you know well, maybe you've had a really long relationship and taking care of their psoriasis for 20 years. Patients will help their physicians. And I have had instances where patients have been willing to contact insurers and say, look, I really want Dr. X to, to, to still be my doctor and I want you still to be my insurance company. And so that is something you can think about doing. Those can be kind of awkward. So again, it's not something you want to routinely do, but if you really are sort of at the end of the road, you can try to get your patients to help you as well. Excellent suggestion, Brent. I'd like to thank you both once again for your fantastic insights and your time. And I hope that all of our listeners have very successful negotiations. Thank you for listening. Looking for a cost-effective way to drive practice growth? PatientPoint's innovative patient engagement platform lets you share custom messages and education about the medical and cosmetic services you provide. The best part? The in-office programs are no cost to your practice. To learn how you can get this platform, visit engage.patientpoint.com AAD. That's engage.patientpoint.com com slash AAD. We hope you have enjoyed this edition of Dialogues in Dermatology. This is Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. For more podcasts, including bonus issues, check us out online at the website of the American Academy of Dermatology or through the Dialogues in Dermatology app. You can now also sync your subscription to your favorite podcast app. New podcasts are released each week in addition to our monthly JAD podcasts. We hope you enjoy these new options for listening to dialogues and the increasing content for your listening pleasure. Thank you.